I acknowledge the Turrbal and Yagara people as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands and where this podcast was recorded. Hello, my name is Professor Sue Irvine and I'm the head of the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education at QUT. This is a podcast recording of the 2022 Jean Ferguson discussion panel. Jean Ferguson was an inspiring leader who dedicated her six decade long career to the advancement of early childhood education. This discussion panel is a tribute to Jean and a chance for the early childhood sector to come together, connect and discuss current topics of importance. This year's discussion panel responds to the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Our topic is Walking Together, Embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Perspectives in Early Childhood Education and Care. The moderator for this session is Catherine Martin-Anderson, Senior Learning Success Coordinator for the Ujuru Unit. On the panel is Dr. Francis Babongi-Harris, Senior Lecturer from the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education, Auntie Merle Cashman, Senior Project Officer, Early Childhood Education and Care, Department of Education, Ali Evans, Head of Early Learning for G8 Education, and Kylie Barker, prep teacher at Fernie Grove State School and current student in the Graduate Certificate First Nations Educational Practices at QUT. We might go through with some introductions here uh, and I guess we'll just go to my right here. But um, I think Auntie Mel, I'd probably like to start with you, Auntie Mel Cashman, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'm throwing you out of order already, aren't I? Yeah, but I was hoping if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, your culture, connection, and perhaps some interest in the topic this evening. So my name's Mel Cashman. I'm a Nugi woman from Kwandamuka Nation and Kanju of the Thaipan people. So I'm a Guri for Kwandamuka and I'm a Bummer for um, Cohen up in North Queensland. Um, I'm a mother of six children and um, nine grandchildren, and I am one of 15 and I'm the youngest in my family. So I come from a very strong family um, and as I was growing up going through the education system, never ever fitted for us. And so my life at school was never good. Um, so I, was, I never sent my children to kindy or childcare centres because I was, uh, my mum made me fearful of that, that they may be taken. Um, so I am a senior project officer in the Department of Education, ECEC, Capability Development Team, Inclusive Connection, Deadly Team. Um, working on improving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kindy participation um, and culture and community. I have worked and been part of schools for over 35 years. My eldest son is 40 and um, so I've been a long time working and seeing difference. I worked in the primary high school and I've come into the early childhood and I have learned so much more in the last five years than I did prior. So I know that I had got some things right with my children, but I needed to get it right for all children and specifically for the families of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I started my song line and everybody knows what a song line is, my journey um, in education at Gordonville State School. And I was pretty thrown into that position. And, um, but because everybody knew me in the community and the children, I had already been playing sport and volunteering in the school. Um, 
they asked me if I wouldn't wanted to come and work full time. And I said, oh, I just had my um, daughter, Sarah. And I said, oh, I don't want to leave her, you know, because my number one job is being a mother. So um, as my journey went along, I um, worked in numerous schools around Cairns. And then um, we came to Gympie and I worked in Gympie um, One Mile School. And then I was transferred into uh, Mitchelton State High School where I spent 10 years working in a high school and learning so much. Um, the children, uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children taught me a lot of things. And um, because I am raised in my culture, I don't know any different. And for um, somebody coming from North Queensland and seeing that, um, I, they taught me that, um, you know, I knew about the stolen generation, but the the thing that I didn't realise is that the children here are told that they're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or and Torres Strait Islander, but they never had any content to that. They didn't know. So it was my job to really support those children and also including all children in the school to come in and learn about culture as well, uh, about cultural safety or capability, but we didn't use those words. It was just, I was just doing it. I didn't even think what I was doing. And all, most of the kids in the school called me auntie because they showed that respect. It doesn't matter what age you are, it's about how those children can look up to other people and not stereotype us always. Thanks, Animal. Look forward to hearing from you later in the evening as well. Uh, and so next on our panel, we've also got um, Ali Evans over here, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I too would like to pay my respects to the Turrbal and Yagara peoples and also to acknowledge um, all people in the room with us from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds. Um, and a, a big shout out and thank you to Annie Mel and, and to Annie Denise for um, our, our welcome tonight. Um, so I began my journeys on the lands of the Ghana people in Adelaide. Um, I grew up in Adelaide um, and then once I had finished my teaching qualification, I went to teach in Emerald in central Queensland. Uh, and I worked for a very long time with the Croatian Kindergarten Association, which is where my journeys, I suppose, have um, really impacted my life um, to the level of today that I am, you know, so deeply committed to social justice principles and reconciliation. Um, I was very blessed to um, learn so much from so many elders and continue to learn so much from, from elders and um, community representatives and members and children and families and colleagues and many of them that are here in the room with us tonight. Um, so my, for me, um, there is so much to learn, there is so much to do, um, and I'm you know, deeply committed to reconciliation and social justice. Um, I lead our reconciliation group with Early Childhood Australia, and I'm currently the Queensland Chair for um, Early Childhood Australia. Uh, in my day job, uh, I am Head of Early Learning at um, G8 Education, and you know, really working together with um, G8 in terms of our reconciliation journeys right across Australia with our centres. Uh, and historically, I um, have worked with Good Start Early Learning and CNK. So, really looking forward to the conversations tonight. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ali. Uh, we'll just look over here to our left now and introduce our other panel members. So, beside me right here, we've got Kylie Barker. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Kylie Barker, and I too would like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yagara people as the traditional custodians of this land and um, pay my respects to all First Nations people here tonight um, and to everyone that's come along tonight. Um, I am very, very new in this space. I spent 10 years of my working career as a paediatric nurse and then moved into education in 2013. 
uh, spent seven years working at a Lady Gowrie kindergarten, which sparked my interest in learning more um, about this incredible topic tonight and ways that I could be a better teacher and, and generally a better human. Um, so I moved into the prep space about three years ago, so I'm still very new in this space and commenced my graduate certificate this year um, with Francis. And um, I, like Ali, have a, a passion for social justice. It's something that has um, permeated my entire life, um, but this is my absolute focus now. And I have found a space where I learn and listen constantly and it fulfills me as um, someone who is passionate about lifelong learning and I love the fact that I can influence 25 little faces in my classroom grassroots every day um, it, it means so much to me and I love the fact that I have been able to find this amazing university course which has caused me to reflect on myself a lot as a human um, and what I don't know and unlearning what I thought I knew um, and moving on. So um, it, it's an honour to be here tonight, even though I'm terrified. So thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, Kylie. And just on the end, last but not least, we've got Dr. Francis Bom I'm sorry if I've pronounced Bobongi Harris. Thank you. <laughs> I noticed I was the chair before too, so <laughs> things are a little bit different tonight. Oh, you're welcome to take my microphone if you'd like. Oh, no. It seems like you might have all the talking, so I'm not going to offer. Um, yeah, um, before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we're in terrible Yago country and acknowledge um, traditional owners past, present and emerging. And I say emerging um, with such happiness because we've got little babies, sorry, I'm getting emotional, um, who we get to mould. And um, it's such an important space for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids. I actually began my early childhood um, career in New Zealand, um, and that's where I first had my first experience embedding Indigenous perspectives because Māori is so prevalent in that country. And I had to, as a first year teacher, I had to go and learn how to speak um, the language and then go back and teach kids. So um, when I came back to Australia, early 2000, no, 2002, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives still wasn't really a thing to do. So <laughs> it kind, you know, I kind of had to push that aside a little bit, but also kind of reflecting on my, I guess, my experience in New Zealand and thinking about this space and how we might further it, further it a bit better. And 20 years after the fact, <laughs> here we are. And I think we are really having a, a great impact um, in terms of embedding these perspectives into our everyday um, program programming and practice um, and I forgot to mention that I'm actually Torres Strait South Sea so if you wonder where the connection is that's it that's what it is but I'm also a mother first um, academic teacher second mother first to a four-year-old and an eight-year-old so this um, area is really important to me because they're in the zero to eight years um, age bracket so Thank you so much, Francis. I think um, it really is quite a privilege to be sitting here with these wonderful women with such varied experiences. And uh, I know that there's just so much that we can learn mm. from your experiences and what you know. And sharing that tonight, I really appreciate, I think, um, and everybody in this room, I think, can certainly see that we definitely have a panel here of people that uh, I think would be offering some really uh, fantastic insights and perspectives on, on our topics tonight. 
So I think what we might do is just uh, kick it off then, and I might um, start with you, Auntie Merle. Just giving her the heads up so she can get the microphone. <laughs> um, so we might just have a look at or reflect on the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So having a look at that, it asks Australians to walk together to build a better future. And I think you can already see just by the people on this panel here that this is something that is really close to all of our hearts. And I think sometimes the idea is, is that um, we all have that role to play and we're all, you know, have some buy-in and skin in the game. And it's whether you're an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person or not, um, you know, that responsibility lies with us all. But having a look at that, um, I guess that particular statement, the Uluru statement from the heart, there are three main themes that can be seen in it. They talk about voice and treaty and truth. What are your thoughts on that statement and its significance? And what do you think needs to happen? So I look at my, I talk about um, having a voice and having a voice for the people who came before us. It is so important that everything reflects the old people. You may say elders and what they had to go through. And when we're talking about treaty, we have been talking about treaty from the day that they had invaded Australia. Not saying anyone here, I'm saying they. And understanding to take the rights of our, who we belong to this country, I'm talking as an Aboriginal Guri Bama woman, taking that right away from us, ripping our heart out, and continue to try talking about treaty. And you know, there's many other ways that they try, we, my people have tried very hard to get a voice in there. So finally, people are listening. And one of the most important things is that we want you all to walk alongside us. Because you are the ones that are going to make the changes, our early childhood, our, our young Jajum. And I say Jajum because Jajum just means babies, no S on the end. And I have to say those things because I often see Jajums and we've got to get it right. But keep trying, don't give up. Um, and I, I clearly um, talk about the Makarata. Does everybody know what the Makarata means? And so today I looked up uh, a couple of days ago, an Aboriginal ceremony ritual symbolizing the rest restoration of peace after a dispute, a traditional Makarata ceremony, a treaty or an agreement. We need this. We hear this, this word and no one really knows what that is meaning. Um, continue to, um, you know, I, this is where I was born to be working with children and families. I didn't choose this. This is what the ancestors had already chosen for me. And when each of my, your children are born in our culture, they are chosen to do something. They don't know it at that time. And we talk about the first 1000 days, how vital that is. For the neuroscience I had learned since I've been with the early childhood education and care. And, and continue to do PD that I have never over my whole entire career had had so much PD working with the early childhood. So this is the right place for me, the right place to have a voice and continue to, to push for the treaty. Our team actually does a wrap plan and we had a bit of a, 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 a 
problem with submitting one, but we're still pushing through. I only walk beside the people who are on that committee because as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we're not the ones reconciling. So, you know, I have to look at my notes so I stay on track. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, so, the, so also with the Makarata, um, conduct, conducted an inquiry into the feasibility of the Makarata between the Commonwealth and the Aboriginal people. I talk about the invasion when Cook came and we continue to, you know, um, through history, kept trying to write letters to Queen Victoria, you name it, there is a timeline there. One of the summaries of Uluru's statement for me, from, from the heart, mm -hmm. we seek constitutional reform to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our own destiny, our children will flourish, they will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their own country. Thank you, Animal. Really appreciate that insight into it. And I think it, um, you know, you really sort of hit the nail on the head there when you're talking about having that voice. Would you like to add something yeah. there? I was Francis? just going to say, I, I really appreciate the voice aspect of the Uluru Statement of the Heart. Um, important to have people with that voice sitting at the table, make, table making decisions for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And I was fortunate about three weeks ago to be in Canberra and listen to Minister Linda Burney and Arnie Pat Anderson talk about the Uluru Statement from the Heart and that impact that that voice will have. And I think that's, you know, that I think that speaks volumes. Um, I don't know if any of you remember the children, uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Children's Day theme a couple of years ago. We have, we have the elders hear our voice. You know, that's, yeah, I think if you have that voice, everything else will fall into place. And just really important also to be able to work together and walk together as well. Um, I need to learn more about the Uluru Statement of the Heart for myself. And I encourage everyone to do that because I think when we when we have that true understanding of what it means, um, I think that will actually allow us to be able to walk together and work together in a collegial way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Francis. And yeah, Animal, just um, with that section that you read out from the Uluru Statement from the Heart, it's actually one that I too myself have highlighted because I think. Um, it's important for people to recognise that it is our children walking in two worlds, you know, and, and it's it's going between those and, and acknowledging that their culture and what they bring from their perspectives and their knowledges is a gift. It truly is. So thank you for highlighting that. Yes, one question down. <laughs> um, so this question actually is for you, Ali. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, I guess looking at reflecting on reconciliation from the early childhood education care, uh, what do you think is the role of ECEC, I'll say, to make it a bit easier, uh, in advancing reconciliation? And how well do you think we're doing at present? Okay. Um, well, in terms of our role, I mean, I think there's definitely a role for each and every one of us to, to play in, in reconciliation. Um, and it's amazing to see the work that is actually happening. When I reflect, I've worked in 
um, the early years for over 30 years now. And when I reflect on when I first began teaching um, and what we were talking about and what learning environments looked like and what enrolment policies and procedures looked like to, to where we are now, um, I think that it is amazing. There's still so much to do, but I, I do believe that we um, have made some great um, gains in terms of being on the path to, to where we need to be. Um, so I think we've all got a role to play. Um, we have fantastic policy documents and curriculum frameworks that help guide us with this. So I think in terms of how well are we doing, um, you know, each and every day we're trying to support children in terms of being active and informed citizens. We're talking to them about identity and forming identity and understanding identity. Um, we're talking about concepts of fairness and bias and prejudice and trying to um, help children to understand what the, what they're all about um, in a way that's actually accessible for children to understand as well. Um, one of the exciting things that I've seen as I travel around and talk to different educators and teachers and community members is the power of children to take home their learning and share it with their family and to have that real ripple effect so that um, you know, children are learning so much and then they're going home and talking to their families and then families are also learning um, a lot more. I was talking to a centre not long ago where they had families going out and looking at historical sites in their neighbourhood and, and sharing that learning and bringing it back um, into the centre and talking about it. So I think um, there is a lot to do, um, but we're actually, I think, making some great gains. And I think that there's so many more resources and things available now in terms of cultural learning and understanding that it's up to all of us to actually step up, to learn about the Uluru Statement of the Heart, um, to, to make sure that we're all doing that personal learning as well as um, what we're sharing with children and families and our team members each and every day as well. So I do think, you know, we've moved from um, maybe a time where there were symbols and visual visual symbols that we, we would see whenever we walked into a centre. In fact, I, I don't think I've been into a centre where I haven't seen um, some sort of uh, acknowledgement or um, visual symbols there to, to welcome um, people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait sorry, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds. Um, however, in, in terms of moving on to being um, embedding practice each and every day, um, I think there's, there's still a lot more for us to do, but I think we've, we've made some great gains. Thanks, Ali. I think you've made a good point there where, um, again, just reiterating the fact that it's up to all of us to step up and play an active role in this. So, Auntie Mel, would you mind sharing your thoughts? Yeah, so, so my thoughts is around the work that I do. It's not work for me, it's a passion. And um, we call it culture and community. And I see some familiar faces in the audience tonight that have actually attended our cultural insight workshop. And it's very contextualized and it is has culture right across it. And um, I normally would present that with my daughter, Sarah, who's in the audience today, and she's just left me. But, um, <laughs> but um, I have Kate uh, um, walks alongside me, um, but I do all the cultural side of things. So there, um, um, culture and community work, uh, aims in, to increase kindergarten participation by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, Jarjum, through services providing culturally safe and responsive environment for children and families. I talk about cultural safety. I'm not teaching people culture because I teach culture to my children like my mother taught me culture. That's really important to understand. Um, 
the so the, the the cultural insight workshop is the why you have to know the why and understand the history the workshop is really very much contextualized to what the old people have taught me in my time up in north queensland and on the island on minjiraba and um it's built around what they may be seeking reflecting the the um, old ways and listening to giving everyone a voice. So each time we start these workshops, we make sure that we have a voice, that everybody talks and we contextualize to what they may be looking for. And it, get, it sets the ground um, with the, we've always done it this way culturally. I'm, I don't know any different. So sitting around and making sure that everyone in that audience, and sometimes there's 30 to 40 people in that audience, and but they get a voice and I, I actually take in everything that somebody uh, has said to me through the, the reflecting um, as we're starting the, the workshop. Um, so we start with the cultural insight workshop um, and then we go into our um, community, uh, culture and community clusters. And um, it's it, the clusters are from, once they do the workshop, they go, um, um, there's five locations and each location we have given them cultural names. So we started off with Bramble Bay and Bramble Bay had been there for a very long time. So I could not change that name. Um, and so the project as we've gone along added four more locations. We have Kia YM, which is Northwest in Turbul Yagara language. We have Kondamuka culture and community, which is my country. And we mainly around the Wynnum area, but we do a lot of work around um, with Moreton Bay Environmental Education Centre. And because that's walking and learning on country, it is that feel that you have to. So today I was out there and we were interviewed, um, we were, had a, a good, great discussion and I had a very hoarse voice before I went there. And somehow it went and I said to Di, I said, Di, my voice is back. What's going on? So for me, it, it, everything just comes together. It always comes together culturally. Um, we do all the community partnerships. So one of the things that we did was go over to Minjiraba Mongompi Elders in Council and sit down and talk with the elders and, and talked about our project. And they said, and I wanted them to endorse it. So everywhere I go, I make sure I go into the community and talk about our, what we're doing and they will pull me up. If there's something they don't like, they will tell me straight and I can take that because this is not, this is, they have to lead the work. They have to agree that this is right for this country. Um, so, and then we have Tumor, and Tumor is the name for Ipswich before it became Ipswich. We have Yagra also, and the clusters are, each of the clusters lead us to what they want in those areas. So not one fits all, it is what's happening in that community. Um, then we go into the outdoor classroom day. Another word is that they're walking and learning on country. And it's all based around embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. These, all of this, this is the work that has been going on almost five years. So it never happened overnight. And we've got to be hanging in there and be strong and resilient about the knocks that we do get over the time. 
And then it, it, one of the most important things also is to have a cultural advisor. While I'm on there as an elder and a community member, I still need that person that I can just go straight to. We have Annie Moore Bly, and she loves the work and she, she's pretty um, straight down the line when she doesn't like something and I can take that. So when I do an acknowledgement, I send it out to um, the elders to approve and agree. If they don't like something on that acknowledgement, then I take it off and I, so that's where I'm listening. I'm always listening. And my whole team gets that now because they've come along with the, the journey. And then it collates to this beautiful Kulamun. It is um, excellence in embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders um, perspectives in their um, services. And um, we, this year we were able to give the other four locations um, a Kulamun, and the Kulamun has to be used in the center. It can't be just a tokenistic, they have to use it how we did use it. And, you know, um, they, if it comes back with bumps and bruises and all that, that's, that's, that makes us happy because it can't be tokenistic. Thank you, Auntie Mel. I think you um, you really highlighted a few points there that I believe that we're all lifelong learners. And even with your experience and your, your background and your cultural knowledge, it's always about that consultation with others who perhaps know other things that are able to, to build on your capacity. And I think that that's a really important thing as educators that we need to understand that we're learning as much as the children are every day. And we will make mistakes. And we need to own those and we need to be seeking out that consultation with people and being able to recognise where we need to do better in our practice and, you know, congratulate others that are, that are seeking to make those changes as well. Thank you. I might turn to this side now because I think I've been speaking to people over this side for a little bit, so I might jump over here. Um, Francis, I'll start with you and then I'll ask, get on to you, Kylie. So, Francis... Um, Strengthening Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives, um, it's a part of the terms of reference for the update of the early years learning framework and my time, our place. And I think actually you touched on that, Ali, when you were talking about a, children having a strong sense of identity. Um, I think because they, they need to, I guess, feel secure and safe in the fact that they have their own agency there. And um, yeah, so with those, I guess, the early years learning framework and my time, our place, we know that there's an updated frameworks that are to be considered by ministers. Um, however, drawing on you know earlier discussion papers, what do you think might be on the table in terms of change? Sue, give me a big cough if I've <laughs> breached anything <laughs> as I talk. Um, I actually love the early years learning framework. There's so many opportunities to embed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives, but that's coming from me as a Torres Strait Islander person. I can see that it may not be as visible for people who aren't. So what I'm encouraged <laughs> from by the, and you can read this for yourself in the discussion paper and the literature review all housed on the ASEQA website, um, is that there is strong support for the embedding of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. And I think, um, you know, from the beginning to stage two, because that's all you know <laughs> about, um, both children, our participants, both children and adults are showing that support as well, which I think is um, really exciting to see. So um, I can't say anything, but <laughs> keep watching this space. <laughs> Is that okay? 
Thank you, Francis. Apologies for putting you on the spot there. I threw you a curly one. Um, so Kylie, you teach prep and support the transition from kindergarten to school. How does the Australian curriculum address these themes? Do you think is there a continuity of learning here for children as they move into school? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because I have worked across both sectors. So I spent seven years, um, I had a very traumatic PRAC experience in my last PRAC. Um, so I decided that, um, you know, primary schooling was not for me and community kindergarten was the way to go. And I would not be the teacher I am today without the incredible work that um, long-term beautiful kindergarten teachers really embed. And the early years learning framework is the foundation document for me. Um, because it is so rich and beautiful and it was through my work in a community kindergarten where my passion for um, learning more about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures really sparked. I met a beautiful woman called Auntie Sharon Mary Bell um, and that woman called me out. Golly, I made some mistakes, but she did it with such a genuine desire to educate me and that's not that's not her job. I need to do the work and I need to learn, but Auntie Sharon was so respectful and authentic and it made me really um, start to question my own kind of pedagogy and, and things like that. So I'm very lucky that I have worked across the early childhood sector and now moving into prep. Um, what I love to see with the new little preppies that come through is they are so aware. They know the country they're learning on. They know their welcome um, songs in the morning. They know the stories. They, um, they have read dreaming stories with their educators in early childhood settings and it's wonderful, but I do think that there is a disconnect in primary schools. And I think it has a lot to do with educator confidence. Um, when I moved into uh, the prep space, people started to refer to me as the expert and I am anything but. I am on my learning journey and I will never be an expert in this space. That is not my lived experience. All I can do is learn and listen. So um, when I approached my principal about leading the reconciliation action plan, because our school didn't have one, um, we sent out a survey and of the 49 participants that responded, only two said that they felt that they had a strong confidence in embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. Um, and 21 said they had a small amount of confidence. So I think that's the crux here. A lot of the women and men that work in the schools have not ventured back into more professional development like the graduate certificate. Um, so I think that there is hesitation around wanting to do the right thing and that hesitation then precludes them from actually starting. So speak from experience, I have made mistakes. I will make mistakes every single day and I'm lucky to have built a support system around me that will call me out and say, you are trying here, but you need to try harder, learn this, listen to this, unlearn this, relearn this. Um, so I guess for me, to all the pre-service teachers out there, don't be afraid to try really give it a go. The Australian curriculum, the new update version nine, which will come out in a couple of years once the, the government have approved it, has a lot more resources now. Um, it seems to be very well versed and has done a lot of consultation with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander academics. Um, I was just reviewing the, the science elaborations this afternoon and there's something like 94 new elaborations with incredibly complex complex footnotes that you can read. So there's so much out there. It's really about people 
um, making that first step and starting to like reflect on where they are in their own journey around learning about these things and then taking that next step. Um, so I think the resources are there and I think they're, like Francis said, the momentum is growing. People really want to do this and we all want to do the right thing, but I think that confidence is really holding a lot of people back. Mm. Thank you, Carly. I think you make a really great point there. I know that in my experience in education, it's been a similar thing where there is that reluctance because people are concerned about getting it wrong. So they don't want to be seen to be getting it wrong and being you know, perhaps inappropriate, um, culturally inappropriate. And I think um, you're actually a really great example of what we need to do is to to be brave because we're teaching these these beautiful children and we want to show them that we're coming from a place of curiosity that we're here to learn together you know and as educators if we don't show them and model that behavior where we don't know it so we're going to seek to find it out we're going to initiate conversations and and surround ourselves with people who are going to be able to support us in this and and as you say and you know as i think we've all mentioned here sometimes we get some kickback that actually okay perhaps we're on the wrong track here that's all right we show that resilience by turning it around and getting it right you know we con consult with the right people we seek further education further professional development to get ourselves equipped with that knowledge because i don't think that it's okay anymore for us to be sitting on our hands to say that i'm not comfortable so i won't go any further with it i think you know you're a prime example of somebody who's decided that this is something important in your own teaching and your practice so you're doing something proactively about it to educate yourself and and improve practice which then extends to the people around you so thank you i'm just conscious of the time i could sit here and talk to you all forever actually to be honest uh, we are going to stretch it out a little Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> um, well, that's great because what we're on to next, I guess what I really um, wanted to ask each of you was uh, now, you know, Auntie Mel, I'll, I'll go to you so that you can get your microphone ready. Um, you know, you're working directly with ECEC services in this context. So uh, could you share an example of a deliberate, of deliberate and thoughtful practice, I guess? So um, as I was talking about the Kuhlman Award, um, one of our kindies, Anala Kindi, um, was a, a standout winner of the Kuhlman. Um, some of the things that I loved what they did, and um, I wasn't a judge, but this is one of the, the um, kindies that I like look, you know, talking about. And um, being the winners, and one of the biggest things that I saw, they already had established Anala elders working with. They had already, you know, um, worked, not worked their way there, but they, they knew the connections was really important, the old people's voices. And so that relationship has been going on for 50 years. One of the, the lead um, kindy teachers, um, Michelle, I had to think of her name then, um, she's been there 20 years. So that what it what they do there is so much um, around that community that's what suits Yagara culture in community and and everything um, one of the things that when we do the have these um, meetings we make sure we go to their centers and and then they get to show us um, and we can look around because we were having them at a, a location 
but I felt that it was more important to go to each of the, the ones that wanted to put their hand up to, um, you know, host a meeting. And then that's when we got to have a look at what they had been doing. Um, they also, you know, have Dan Deary. Um, um, last um, cluster meeting, we had Vanessa come in and talk about Dan Deary. They already have a great relationship. They, they don't even need hardly any help, but they still attended our cultural insight workshop. They still come be part of the community um, the cluster meetings. Um, and they also have their artist in residence, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Kent. She's a Yagara and Kwandamuka woman. So you'll often hear a lot of Yagara and Kwandamuka people, uh, you know, they have the same um, because of the location. Um, they got a great relationship with um, Mirabelle, which is only Sharon Lynn. Um, they uh, retain staff, um, the like I said, the nominated supervisor 20 years. They have a dedicated budget um, each term that is to be spent on resourcing and professional development that goes directly back to the community. So it's all about, you know, even your resources, making sure you're buying from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, because that helps the community. Um, the commi uh, commitment to ongoing learning and professional practice in embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Um, consistent members, including hosting a meeting of culture and community. But the other thing that I didn't get to mention, a celebration for um, ECEC Metro, that we had a 5% increase of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children participating in Kindy Metro, Metropolitan Region. 5%, isn't that amazing? And, you know, that, that um, you know, just to see that, I always go, oh, data, data, here we go, you know. <laughs> but now I look at it as a song line. It, it actually tells us that story. And data is really important because we may not have had this project that EC, EC may not have seen that that was the biggest need. If we don't make a change in the early years, we are just band-aiding everything for our children. Working in high school, seeing you know children trying to get them through get them over the line but are we doing the right things we have to start in the early childhood so nala kindy you know hands down a, a strong start a strong learner thanks animal ali i'll throw over to you so you've played a leadership role in eco's reconciliation work for many years now could you uh, possibly share an example of really purposeful practice as well please mm. And I would like to um, second those thoughts because I know Michelle and Anala Kindi and all the work that um, has happened in that community and it is a fantastic, uh, a fantastic community um, and wonderful early learning centre. Um, so I think for me, um, you know, I think building on what you're saying, Animel, like for me where I've seen wonderful practice, it has been that there, there is that really long lasting and very strong relationship between community um, and the early learning centre plays a really significant role. Uh, and there are elders and community members that, that are a part of that early learning centre on a very regular basis. There is walks on country, there's learning about the waterways and the land and the seasons and the, the plants and the animals and the changes. Um, and, and it's not just a one-off or a here and there, it's actually um, on an ongoing basis and that, that learning deepens over time. And then, like I said, I think the learning that children then take home to families um, and the, the documentation and the visibility and the sharing of that of those cultural knowledges and understandings is just so um, critically important. 
Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do at ECA Queensland um, over the last few years is um, providing spaces and places where we do bring elders and community members and the sector together. Uh, and a lot of that is about listening and learning and hearing stories, um, understanding the, the local context and um, understandings of, of, what, um, of the local community context and the stories of the elders that live uh, within those communities. So we have done quite a few of those regionally as well as in Brisbane. Um, COVID did put a bit of a dampener on things and we ha have had to stop, but, it, but they have been very powerful um, ways because then people then remain in touch with um, community members and also just the sharing across sector as well in terms of deepening knowledges and understandings. And I, and I just think there's, there's so much learning an opportunity when the sector comes together with elders and community members and has those those conversations and we do have that deep listening and learning happening. Thank you, Ali. And I might just get Kylie, if you don't mind, sharing an example of deliberate and thoughtful practice in a school setting, because I think it's great for us to hear it in the different contexts to be able to actually have a look at our own practice and reflect on where it is that we're able to build that deliberate into our... Um, Thank you. I guess I can only speak um, from my school's perspective. It's the only school that I've taught in. So um, we're, we're very much beginning our journey at Ferny Grove State School. Um, and Annie Mill was talking before about uh, the Moreton Bay Educational Centre. And so my school has recently parted, partnered with Pullen Vale Environmental Education Centre. And we're very, very big on place responsive pedagogy. So um, encouraging the children to learn outside every day, take their shoes off, feel the ground beneath their feet, um, in, in my prep space, my prep team is very, very supportive of the work that I am trying to do personally and professionally. Um, and we have um, embedded some stories through um, our prep nature play space. So we have um, a tree that's called Grandmother Tree. Um, and she was named by one of the children. They said she looks like a grandmother tree and we've taken that name and run with it. Grandmother Tree protects us every day. We play under her branches. She shelters us, she shelters the animals. She, um, she provides a safe haven for every prep student. So we use Grandmother Tree and it was actually inspired by an assessment that Francis sent me in the graduate certificate about um, looking at ways that you can adjust the curriculum to embed perspectives more holistically and kind of um, in non linear fashion. So Grandmother Tree actually plays a central role in our year-long science curriculum. So we uh, examine Grandmother Tree first using our senses and then we learn about the seasons and we watch the changes in Grandmother Tree throughout the year and how her role in the prep playground um, influences what we can and can't do as well and how she cares for us. Um, we also look at her in terms of the materials unit that we use, so what um, friends of Grandmother Tree might be used for and how we use them and how uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have used trees and other parts of nature for thousands and thousands of years. Um, um, you know, a Coolamon, I have a Coolamon in my classroom, so we talk about that and, and a Grandmother Tree gives us information about that. And then um, next term is all about the movement. So Grandmother Tree actually has special seeds that fly like helicopters. Um, so we use her for that session as well. So um, for us, that's, that's grassroots stuff right there. Um, but I think something really um, special happened at our Reconciliation Action Plan meeting the other day. So we're just beginning this process and it's something that I co-lead with another teacher. We were drafting our vision for reconciliation and through this process, um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in our school have been working with us, like in an age appropriate way, of course. 
Um, and so they have been meeting once a week with some of the teachers and have been really leading the school in creating um, events to celebrate special days and sharing their cultural knowledge. And like Animal was saying, they have developed this beautiful sense of community and then they have taken those questions home to their family and they are now learning more about their culture. So um, we thought, we thought, hey, let's get um, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander school captain. This is a great idea. Um, and so we, we discussed it as a group. Um, and what has come from that is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture is not a hierarchical is, um, you know, way of being. Um, and to ask children to put themselves out in that leadership role can be very confronting from them. So for me, professionally, that was a massive cultural positioning reset. I thought a leadership position would be amazing. But for these children, that's not what they, they don't need that from me. They don't need that from me. So I think that's really thoughtful practice, us reflecting on our own cultural positioning and what we think is the right thing to do, but the children then having agency and a voice to say that is not the right thing for us. Yeah. Thank you, Kylie. Um, so what I might do before we open up to questions on the floor is I'm gonna put one final question to all of you. Um, and it's going to be, we might start down this end, Francis, so that you can go first. Just giving you the heads up so you can get your microphone ready. I'm here for the stories and I've just been sitting <laughs> and listening and enjoying, so it's been good. So what advice would you all give to educational leaders in prior to school settings and within schools who are seeking to build collective capability and ensure that programs are both culturally responsive and purposeful, because I think we've just heard some really great examples of really deliberate, considered practice here. So yeah, if you can think about what advice you'd give to leaders, um, that would be great. Yeah, I think it's all about strengthening your relationships, walking, working together. I think that um, ensures culturally responsive and purposeful programs. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, again, with the RAP plan, looking at um, the Narragunawali website for pre-service teachers. If you haven't been on that website, it's incredible. There's so much professional development that you can do there. Um, and there was a, a sentence on it that was making sure that your relationships with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families are transformational, not transactional. So building on what you said, Francis, making sure that you, um, for me, as um, a non-Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, making sure that my desire for learning comes with the opportunity to provide opportunities for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and their families and community members in general, so that I have something to offer as well. I'm not just taking, I'm giving back as well. Um, and for you know a person who is not an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person, sitting with discomfort if you are told something or you read something that sits uneasily with you really take the time to reflect and unpack unpack why that sits uneasily with you um, and really examine those unconscious biases um, that has been a massive part of my my learning journey so that's you know something that i think we can all you know really sit and reflect on lovely thank you auntie mel um one of the most important things when our children go to school or to a service, um, you really need to find out when they tick that box, really find out what country they are from. Yeah. 
This is the best way to settle the children into kindy, school, wherever that song line is. So, you know, I'm a Kwandamooka woman. And I always say, you know, that that's my identity. And so that's your learning is going out and finding out everything you can about Kwandamooka. Most, I think most people know where Kwandamooka is. Die, where's Kwandamooka? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and finding that 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 little key is a big thing to us. That is our cultural identity. Also, building those reciprocal relationships, continuing them, go and have three or four cups of teas with the community. That is how we do things. Don't just expect things, because you keep taking from our old people we will never trust. And I walk in my team with every one of them walk besides me and they respect me. And the old people teach us about being kind and respectful, not angry. We really need to walk together. So kindness and being respectful is one of those must do things because every child deserves kindness to them. The families deserve respect, all, all people. Thank you, Auntie Mel. Ali? So many wise words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would advise educational leaders and, and leaders in the sector to start with themselves. Um, I think there is just so much on the Narragunawali website. There's so much on the Uluru Statement from the Heart website. Um, there's so many materials and, and learnings and resources out there for all of us now. So starting with ourselves um, and then as a team, doing that deep critical reflection, um, you know, having a really good understanding of where you are in terms of your VRAP journey or where you are with relationships within your, your, your children and your families and your team members and community. Um, but, but thinking about how we're going to um, walk beside uh, and, and move forward together because historically we're at, at such a pivotal time in Australia's history, I believe, um, you know, following on from so many things, look at where we were after the apology, um, now with Uluru Statement of the Heart, now that the Prime Minister has made some um, fantastic commitments, it's about all of us standing up and, and walking together. Thank you. I think there's some really fantastic takeaways from this conversation that we've had today. Um, I would conscious of the time, but I would like to open up to the audience if anyone would like to ask questions of anyone on our panel here. Um, I'm not sure if we have roaming microphones or if we're going to do this bingo style, so I'll walk up and put your hand up if you'd like to say something. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Do we have anyone that would like to ask anything of our panellists today? Or perhaps even add a comment of your own to anything we've spoken about? I thought this was a room of educators who like to talk. <laughs> oh yes, I can see a hand. We have a question. I have a bit of a reputation for always asking the question, so I did sit back and wait, but alas, here I am. Um, is this working? Yeah, you can hear me? 
No, I don't don't know that it's working. Hello. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, so my question, uh, throwing it to the panel just generally, um, something. Uh, I'm a member of ECAWA's executive committee and something that we've been working on is that transition from safe to brave practices. Um, and I guess my question is, what would be your biggest recommendation for really taking that brave step? Would you like to say that? Oh, well, I'm just, just going, be brave, make change. Um, I think that, that you could answer that question a bit better than I could. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it a go. Um, I guess I, I was very brave at the beginning of the year and recognised the limitations of my own knowledge and sought out a way to learn more. Um, for me, it is about recognizing that I need to do the work first. I do not need to rely on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to fulfill me with their knowledge. That's not their job. So um, acknowledging um, your own deficits in your understanding, um, acknowledging your own cultural positioning and your own unintentional biases, um, recognizing your own privilege, um, doing the hard work, I think internally, like Ali said, working on yourself first, um, and unpacking those things that you might not even really know are there and then um, seeking out like-minded people and learning from them. Um, that's, that's kind of my journey, I guess, and it's still a, a very early stage in my journey. I still have so much to learn and I will never stop learning. But again, I think sitting really critically, reflecting upon yourself um, as a person first, but then also as an educator. I think she was the right person to answer that <laughs> and she's so humble and I love that. Thank you, Annie Bell. That means a lot. So humble. Do we have any other questions from the audience? I see lots of people smiling, but then their eyes are diverting as I make <laughs> eye contact with them. hope it works. <laughs> Mind you, I have a pretty loud voice from being a kindergarten teacher for many years. I've had a most interesting evening. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversations that we've had that that you have had with each other and with us. I'm really delighted. There's a lot of positivity in me. I've been teaching in the Aboriginal area for a very long time, and it's absolutely wonderful to hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm almost in tears because I worked in education department and we were trying to get Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues embedded in curriculum 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's taken all this time for it finally to start to move. It really is moving now. Lots of good stuff is happening and it is so good for us oldies that have been battling in there for years to hear what you're doing, how you're doing it, your interaction with the community, which is so important. So often it's about children, teachers, 
maybe parents, but how about the community? The community gets forgotten. The community is absolutely vital. The children are right in the community and so often it's not done, but I can hear it's, it's happening. So look, thank you very much. And Auntie Merle, I would love to come to one of your sessions, please. <laughs> Thank you. We've just got one more here with their hand up. Sorry. <laughs> Mine's more a comment too. They're, they're fabulous with Aunty Mel. I've done them more than once. Um, I learn something every single time. Today, Aunty Mel, we're talking, and sometimes I like to think the mouth, from mouths of babes. Um, and the work that is happening um, with the culture and community and feeding all the way down to teachers as well as early childcare educators and kindies is phenomenal. And the other thing that has been not negotiable in some of the work that we do in embedding it is having a First Nations person, person as part of the program. It is a non-negotiable investment. So then we've done some focus groups, mouths of babes, and they'll go, everyone needs to know they were the first inventors. Everyone needs to know what has gone on. Everyone needs to understand you know, whatever, how special, they, they write all this down. I had, the, I had a whole sheet of it written today. But the first inventors, the first scientists, and these are kids, little ones, that are seven. So they're the ones that sometimes we look at environmentally to teach their parents about litter. And they're the ones that will also go back and teach their parents and the community about First Nations things and the, the work with animal. Everybody should go to one and Sarah and Caitlin, you need to be there too, just saying. <laughs> so that's all. Thank you, Di. Also mentioning the outdoor classroom day, we have about 100 kindy kids attend with their parents. Even the parents are learning things. And it's amazing, you know, like we, I have an, we have an idea and then how it gets built and that support, that wrap around. And um, it's just, every time we do an outdoor classroom day, it just sings to my heart that we see the changes and we're making changes in people who have never even learnt anything about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples because they had not even learnt in school. So there's so much work that culture and community does that just isn't the one thing. It, it, it just wraps around everything. Thank you, Dodd. Thanks, Animal. I think that's been the recurring theme of everyone's conversation here tonight has been that it's not just one little child, it's not this one classroom of 20 odd children. It actually extends right out to their friends, their family, their parents, their community. And I think that's why we're all in this. It's because we know that we're not just educating one or two or three or a handful of people. This is a movement that's actually going to spread right throughout the community and it starts with our young children. So I think we might wrap it up because I think I've monopolised a bit of your time tonight. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of these wonderful people here on the panel. It's really been quite a privilege to be listening to all of your perspectives and your, your knowledge. And I thank you so much for sharing your stories. Sincere thanks. That was just, you couldn't hear a pin drop in the room. We were so 
deeply listening. So thank you very much to our panel. I knew that this was going to be an exciting event. You have helped to make it that by coming along and engaging, but sincere thanks to our very wise and, and um, generous panel for everything that you have shared. And we have a, a small token of appreciation. Thank you very much. And Catherine, wonderful. I know who to come to. <laughs> thank you very, very much. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education at QUT. We're committed to reconciliation and believe that early childhood teachers and educators have an important role to play in leading positive change. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to continue this conversation with family, friends and colleagues.